Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to one chapter today, Psalm 136. Uh, Psalm 136. Now, uh, since I'm a little under the weather, I'm going to need your help preaching today. So, uh, many of you think, you know, that uh, every week it's a little different here at Calvary. Something just is just going to be probably a little out of the ordinary. And, and so we're going to do something in the very beginning of this message called call and response. You know what call and response is? It's where I say something and then you all together say something in response to it. Now, Psalm 136 is actually a, a, a beautiful chapter to do this because there is one statement that is made over and over and over and over again that I want all of you to say out loud every time it shows up. Now, we're going to get your Bible reading in today. There are 26 verses, and in every one of these verses, your line appears, and this is your line. For his mercy endures forever. Now, I know, I, I, I just know it in my spirit. I know it in my heart. Some of you are just going to smile, nod, sip your coffee, and miss your moment. No, this is your moment. You've been waiting to preach your sermon. You've been collecting all this information. Here's your trial sermon right here. You're going to preach this sermon 26 times. For his mercy endures forever. Okay, yeah, you're, you're getting there. You're getting there. I think you need a little more Pentecostal fire when you say it. But, okay, so we're going to read this together. And I want to share really what I believe are actually more like devotional thoughts for you this morning. But also uh, more of a, I would also say that they are a critical doctrinal arrow for us as a church and for us as the body of Christ. I want to share a message today called the goodness of God. I want to share a message about the goodness of God. And, and I, I pray that today is not a day where you're just making more notes. My prayer for every single person here today is that you wouldn't just know about the goodness of God, but that you would experience the goodness of God. So we're going to read this together. Psalm 136. It's an incredible uh, 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 psalm. And I think so appropriate since there was such a glorious spirit of worship in this place. So we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, you can read it along on the screen or read it along. Uh, this is, uh, I believe this is New King James Version. So it says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Man, that's pretty good. I'm going to get out my hanky. That's awesome. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. 
the moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And slew famous kings. Sihon, king of Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowly state. And rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. Amen. I know some of you are breathing hard right now. You're like, wow, man, I'm tired. Well, try doing it twice a week. There is something that you want to grab hold of today, and I think you've said it 26 times, and if you're going to leave here with an impression, you need to know God's mercy endures forever. Forever. Some of you just need to take your circumstance and read it and then say, for his mercy endures forever. Some of you need to take that that thing you've been facing and just say it out loud. For his mercy endures forever. And so for for you and I to to begin to understand the goodness of God, we've got to grab hold of this idea that is now on our lips and in our hearts. But I I want to really just kind of focus in on verse 1 and we're going to look at this together. I believe that God wants to release a grand revelation of his goodness. I actually want uh, uh, every person here to experience the God of the Bible. Not a God of our imaginations, not a God of our own making. Not a God that is connected to our experience in life. But the God of the Bible. And, and there is a proper response to God. And I'm just going to walk through this together. And we're going to just share some of these ideas. And I want you to think of this as a devotional between you and the Lord. Something that you can add to your personal life, your personal walk with God, that you can carry away from this place that will usher you in to his presence on a regular basis. First thing I want you to catch from this psalm is how it begins. This whole idea is that thanksgiving should be the regular response of man to God himself. Thanksgiving should be the regular response of man to God himself. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord. It says it in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 26. It says giving of thanks should be this regular response to who God is. And our level, our personal level of thanksgiving, I believe, reveals our awareness of the person and the work of God. Do you walk around thankful? Do you, do you have this attitude of thanksgiving no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel? I thought, Lord, as I was preparing this message, having to go through a weekend where I'm dealing with sniffles and headaches and all of those things, I said, of course, that in the middle of this whole time where I'm going to come and say, give thanks and everything, I'm just going to sit here with my tissues on a Saturday when I could be out and about and enjoying the rain on a weekend, you know, and... Uh, uh, and I could just be out and about and doing whatever I need to do. No, I am going to give thanks. I'm going to give thanks. Because thanksgiving is not connected to your awareness of your situation. Your thanksgiving that is in your heart, it should be directly connected to a, a revelation of God. I wrote this down, and I'm sure it's not just for me. But the opposite of thanksgiving many times, of thanksgiving and praise, is complaining. And you do know that the scripture says, do all things without complaining. All right, we're going to do an altar call right now. <laughs> right now. Because we're supposed to do all things without complaining. That actually means that there is a grace that God fashioned for us in the person of the Holy Spirit to do all things without complaining. Here's why I know that. Because God is good. And he will never give us a command that we cannot live out with his power when his power is attached to it. So if God has fashioned a grace, a divine enablement to do what he has called us to do, that we could do all things without complaining, and there is a grace for it to be accessed by faith, then we can do it. So here's this idea, is that complaining is the result of faith in things that fail. Think about it for a moment. Complaining is actually, it arrives in our mouth when we are putting faith in things that fail. Here's what it looks like on a practical level. I cannot believe my boss hired them. Now I am going to have to do double the work because that person is not capable of doing I'm not saying that that's not a real situation. 
What I am saying is that even in that situation, there's a grace to live free of complaining. Why are we complaining? Because we are certain that person is going to fail. Why do we complain about, uh, uh, about you know, things that don't work as, as though they should? Here's why. Because we placed faith in things that will fail. And the church needs to understand that the just live by faith. But when you misplace faith, you walk around complaining. And when you get into complaining, I want you to think about this. I heard this from Bill Johnson. It's amazing, uh, an amazing thought. If God is enthroned on the praises of his people, who is enthroned on your complaints? That is a powerful truth that those of us who are blood-bought, those of us who have been transformed by God's goodness and God's mercy and God's love, that when we complain, we might actually be making space for the enemy to work. Or at the very least, for flesh to rule. So flesh always rules in complaining. You are allowed to complain to God. David did that plenty all through the the Psalms. He says, how long, oh God? Will you forsake me forever? How long? He's complaining to God. He just says it's an illegal move to do to other people. So what do we do? We determine... To know God in a way that is, that is very simply this. I am going to know God in a way that produces thanksgiving every day no matter what. And this isn't a thanksgiving message. You know, I didn't want to, you know, I'm just not that kind of guy that preaches around holidays, the messages that goes with holidays. I'm kind of the guy that just wants to pray and say what God is saying. And I know that there is an epidemic of complaining going on in the church. And the answer to the complaints of the church is the revelation of the God that we serve. It is living in an awareness of God. If I could today, can I just please convince you, your God is awesome. Your God is amazing. He's all powerful, filled with glory. I don't know if any of you skipped ahead in your Bible reading and read the end of the book, but we win. We win. We overcome. New Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven, 1,500 miles high and wide and across. There is a brand new deposit coming from heaven, and we get to be a part of that. We win. If you've got nothing else to be thankful for, you can be thankful that you're a part of an overcoming kingdom because we have an overcoming king. But we need to get more convinced that our God is awesome. Thanksgiving. It's it's, Thanksgiving and praise are so connected. They're so connected. And so when somebody comes to me and, and says, and says uh, Pastor, I feel so dry inside. 
I feel like God has me in a desert season. I didn't know desert was a season. So I just start to ask, what's your worship been like lately? Terrible. What's your Bible reading been like? In the toilet. Oh, so your worship has been complaining. And so you've been building a throne for the enemy to come and torment you. Thanksgiving and praise is the gate through which you come into his presence. Praise is a gate. He says we enter his presence through that gate of praise. It's that gate of thanksgiving. It is that thing that when our feet hit the floor, thank you God for another day to display your goodness. Thank you God you gave me breath today. Thank you God I have the ability to walk to the bathroom three times a night <laughs> just kidding about that maybe that's your deal that's a word for somebody else that's not my problem but there ought to be a, a, a thanksgiving that erupts from us can we just today as a church allow the Holy Spirit to rest on this one idea Oh, give thanks to the Lord before we ever move into all that he does. And he does a lot. He does a lot. But out of a revelation of how amazing your God is. So when he calls you to prayer, it's not, oh, no. When he calls you to fast, don't look at me cross-eyed. Because he will call you to fast. When he calls you to let go of that relationship, let go of that sin issue, let go of that thing that you've been clinging to that you think will actually bring you life that you've been complaining about. When God speaks to you in those moments, it is, it is you ought to just say, thank you, God. Because if you're talking to me, there's a grace to let this go and a grace to live a different way. So I'm going to thank you for who you are, a God that makes all things possible. Complaining is the result of faith in things that fail, and God is love, and love never fails. God is love, and love never fails. God does not fail. He does not fail. Our understanding of God fails because it's limited. But when you don't understand, when you are pressed into a hard place and you're there and you don't get the answer that you want, what do you do? God, I thank you that you're amazing and your mercy endures forever. God, I thank you that you're going to show up for me, that no matter what my circumstance that I find myself in looks like, God, I can thank you because of who you are. And Lord, I'm not changing my stance before you because my circumstance is pressing against my heart. I'm going to worship you because, God, you are love, and love never fails. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Second thing I want you to understand, 
from Psalm 136 is very simply this. God's goodness is central to our understanding of his character. God's goodness is central to, to our understanding of God's character. Everything flows out of God's goodness. Now, around the throne, angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. So you could also say, well, it seems as if everything is emanating from his holiness. And, and it is. But I want to take you to a scene in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when, uh, when um, Solomon finally gets the temple built. And he cries out a prayer and gives God an extravagant offering. All of Israel falls to their face when the glory of God shows up, when the fire comes down from heaven, all of them. God shows up in power. You want to know what they said? For he is good. They quoted this. And his mercy endures forever. When they got a revelation of the character of God, the whole nation, this is what was on their lips. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. So when God answered their cry and was coming into the center of their nation and positioning them for a taste of heaven on earth there on Mount Moriah where the temple was finally erected, when his glory came, when the dream of David was realized in the son Solomon, when all of Israel heard the amen, suddenly there was a thunder that came down from heaven. God's presence and glory fell in such a way that the scripture says the priests could not stand to minister. They could not do the job they were trained and commanded to do by God. They laid on their face and all of Israel with them. I want you to get this picture hundreds of thousands of people hit the ground and there is one thing they say he is good he's good he's good think of this the nearness of God in that moment to the people I believe in this moment, it was, like, it was like a taste of the age of grace. See, we live in the age of grace now. Where what happened to that temple happens to every temple when they receive Christ. When they receive a baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is what happens. We cry out to God for his mercy and grace through Christ and faith in what he did for us on the cross. And then what happens? There's a thunder that comes from heaven and all the old that is in us becomes new. And a glory comes down on the temple that's you and I. And what is the revelation that we are to carry in that moment? He is good. You have to confront every other thought that arrives in your life when you are trying to discern who God is based on circumstance. By the way, that is a poor, poor way to understand God. The greatest way to understand God is to go to his word where he defines himself. But in a moment of deep encounter, in a moment of unfettered access to God, 
where all the nation see God, experience God, there is one response. He is good. He is good. And, and, and you and I have to take this stance that, that as we're going through life and there are things in this fallen world that happen, it doesn't change God's character. A couple of weeks ago, I heard a profound statement by Priscilla Shire. She is Tony Evans' daughter, unbelievable preacher, and actress, she was in the movie War Room, um, which, by the way, if you've never seen, you should go and see that movie War Room. I warn you, take your tissues. Someone asked me how the movie was. I said, well, I lost five pounds through my eyes. Uh, so uh, it's water weight. It just comes right off. Um, <laughs> and... Um, she made this statement. She said, why would, someone asked her, why would a good God send people to hell? She said, this, this is so fascinating to me. She says, you're asking the wrong question. Why would a holy God invite us to come be with him? Are you saying that a good God would only give us one way? Why wouldn't he give us multiple ways? Why would a holy God even provide one way? I'm telling you, God is good. God is good. And when you become near to the Lord, you, you, it will be the response that you go to regardless of circumstance. So how's it revealed in Psalm 136? Well, in verses five through nine, God's goodness is revealed in creation. You know, sometimes you just need to go and sit on a bench or an elevated bench 15 feet in the air wearing camouflage <laughs> with a weapon. Harvesting God's perfect source of protein. Can I get a witness, Randy Headley? Amen. Sometimes you just need to go into creation and sit in silence. Stop with your worship album. Stop with your podcast. Turn your phone off and listen to the birds worship. Watch a sunset. Because Psalm 136 says, You'll see the sun in its time, in its course, and you will think his mercy endures forever. See, his goodness is revealed in creation. And we did a series uh, back some time ago that talked about how God offers to us disciplines not for, for something for us to do, but to position ourselves in order to receive grace. And one of those disciplines is the discipline of silence. There are a lot of funny things in my mind that just came out that I will not say. Uh, this, is, this is self-control on display right now. 
Just so you know, I'm holding my tongue. Sometimes instead of all the talking, we just need to be in silence. And we need to go and sit and observe what God has set in motion for us to live, to contemplate the whole idea that God put this planet perfectly in place. That you and I can even be here There's another area of God's goodness that's revealed, and it's revealed in verses 10 through 20, basically. And verses 10 through 20 are all about how God, God's goodness is revealed in salvation because that is what he did for Israel. You see, Egypt is probably the greatest uh, Old Testament type of sin. It's this type of bondage. And God goes and delivers and saves his people. And it's, and it's, it's just so wonderful that we're talking about Psalm 136 on a day where we're doing baptism. When Psalm 30, 136 talks about Israel's baptism. Israel's baptism is the baptism in the Red Sea where they go into the Red Sea, their enemies follow them in. They come out on dry ground and all of their enemies are drowned. That is a picture of New Testament baptism. And it is in salvation that God's goodness is revealed. It is also, in verses 21 through 25, his goodness is, is revealed in supply. I, I just love that. They just throw this in. And by the way, he gives food to all flesh. You know, um, we, we misquote the Bible many times. Anybody, have you ever quoted this verse before? Well, uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Anybody ever quote that, ever hear that? And they're usually meaning something negative. But that, that scripture actually means something positive. It doesn't mean the rain is bad. Try growing something in a garden in an agrarian society where you are fully dependent on God to water your harvest that will one day come you will be like, oh, I am grateful that the rain has come. And so it is in supply that God supplies to all flesh, whether they are redeemed or not. Think of his goodness to supply, to sustain. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, he's been taking care of you even though you don't know him. And that's what Psalm 136 says. And the last thought I have for you today is this. God's unending mercy is connected to everyone and everything. We just read it. His unending mercy is connected to everyone and everything. Here's, what I, here's, here's why I know that. If you, if you want the definition of mercy, here it is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's not getting what you deserve. Anybody ever fell into that category before? Man, I did not get what I deserve. Let me give you some other biblical thoughts. Justice is actually getting what you deserve. 
Some of us have experienced that before. And then lastly, grace is actually getting what you don't deserve. And all of these ideas are connected to God's mercy. Because listen, you never receive something, the free gift of grace, without God's mercy first showing up. When God's mercy comes, he comes with friends. The undeserved favor of God shows up with mercy. Giving us an invitation to accept God's justice. You say, what's God's justice? God's justice is satisfied fully in the sacrifice that his son gave on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. He paid the price for our sins that all who would place faith in him would be fully redeemed heirs of God in Christ. Everything and everyone is connected to God's mercy. And you never experience God's grace or provision for justice without first receiving God's mercy. And we receive it because God is good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Even a few of us melancholy people who are not the bright and bubbly extroverts that we're married to. Because that's probably what happened. He's good for you too. He's good. He's good. He's good. And his mercy endures forever.